Before Central Park and before Prospect Park, there was Brooklyn's Greenwood Cemetery. With its rolling hills, majestic views, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery was once one of the nation's greatest tourist attractions, right up there with Niagara Falls. Greenwood doesn't pack in as many tourists today, but it still remains a popular destination. Hi, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. The roster of those interred at Greenwood Cemetery reads like a who's who of great New Yorkers. I recently dug into the cemetery's history with a guy who knows quite a bit about it. I'm Jeff Richmond, and I'm the historian here at Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, New York. Now, boy, does this cemetery have a rich history. It certainly does. We go way back to 1838, when it's founded as part of the Rural Cemetery Movement, which actually starts outside of Paris, France, comes through England, where they add the idea of winding paths and roads and ponds, and then 1831, Mount Auburn Cemetery servicing Boston, Laurel Hill, Philadelphia, 1836, and we're... 1838. So what was the idea behind this rural cemetery movement? Well, the idea was that you would no longer be buried in the churchyard of the church that you had attended all your life. When we think of the model of Trinity Church at the head of Wall Street and Broadway, which was what was being done back then. And they started to sense that there were health problems. They didn't know what they were, but they had this miasma theory that there was some sort of cloud that was affecting the well water that they were drinking and people were getting sick, and maybe it was a better idea to get the burials out of the urban center. And so they started to think about these sorts of spots where you could have a religious experience coming in here. You could commune with nature, you could see the heavens reflected in the ponds, and you could in turn commune with God by coming here to visit. So when this cemetery opened, was it a cemetery for wealthy New Yorkers? Well, no, not necessarily. It it started out as being founded by certainly wealthy and leaders of the community, but uh, the cemetery always had lots that were available to people for $5 and $10, public lots. And so if you think of it as real estate, they took what they felt was the least attractive of the real estate the fringe areas closest to the roads and created the public lots in those areas. So you can get a lot for 5 or $10? <laughs> well, no longer. That's no longer the case. And we do not have, uh, we're not creating any more public lots at this point. So it's pretty much what's available in terms of a few public lots that still have vacancies, shall we say. And also so, uh, we have a surveyor who goes out periodically looking for premium lots that are little areas that have been left over as the lots were laid out in the cemetery. Now, the people who are interred here, you call them permanent residents, right? That's correct. That's correct. How many permanent residents are here in Greenwood? We have approximately 565,000 people here. So it is quite a city and very much of a 19th century city. Uh, I do a lot of tours at the cemetery, and we sometimes tend to think of people as isolated individuals. But in fact, we have a businessman who hired the architect that's half a mile over. And we have Courier and Ives, whose artists are here scattered across the grounds of the cemetery. So there are all sorts of connections of people who lived very much and worked together Uh, when they were alive and now who decided to choose Greenwood as their permanent resting place. This pretty much was, and I guess for a lot of people still is, the place to be buried. 
That's correct. That's correct. And so it has had great prestige very much just a few years after its founding. So founded in 1838. By the 1850s, half a million people are coming here every year to visit this place. It is considered the best of the rural cemeteries because of the variety between the hills and the ponds and the trees and the sculpture. Uh, I have a friend who used to work up at Mount Auburn Cemetery who said, don't think of cemeteries as outdoor museums. Think of museums as indoor cemeteries. Because if you wanted to see sculpture in the 1850s and 1860s, this was the place that you came. And it is still, we have that proud tradition as a sculpture garden. And we have added a number of sculptures, 2012, three sculptures this year, two sculptures that we've added. We should point out that Greenwood Cemetery also opened before Central and Prospect Parks here in New York City. Right, and not only did it uh, was it a precursor, but it became the argument for Central Park. Uh, A.J. Downing, who was the leading horticulturist of the time, said, look at Greenwood and imagine, you see the crowds that flock to Greenwood, imagine if we were to build a centrally located park in Manhattan. And we also have Ambrose Kingsland, who was the mayor of New York City, who in 1852 said, I have a better idea, let's build a park in Manhattan. So at one time, more people were visiting this cemetery than Niagara Falls, right? Well, it very much rivaled Niagara Falls. I've never seen the exact numbers for Niagara Falls, but we do know from our reports half a million people in the 1850s, and I don't think there was any other place other than the possibility of Niagara Falls that rivaled this visitation. And they were just strolling and picnicking and all of that? Well, they were doing that and they were doing more. There were tours through the cemetery, carriage tours. Uh, They were strolling, they were picnicking. But we actually had a private police force in here that was assigned sectors and to keep the mourners and the visitors and the tourists uh, in uh, peaceful coexistence here at the cemetery. Who was the great visionary behind the cemetery? Well, there were actually two of them, I think, primarily. Uh, Henry Pierpont, for whom Pierpont Street in Brooklyn Heights is named. Uh, His father had developed Brooklyn Heights as a uh, suburb of New York City, and you could take the ferry across the East River. And he had gone to Europe to look at cemeteries there. He had gone to Mount Auburn to look at that. And he hired David Bates Douglas, And David Bates Douglas was a Renaissance man who had been an engineer, had been a sapper and miner during the War of 1812, uh, had been an explorer in 1820 out in the Michigan area, finding plants that had never been cataloged and had never been identified before. But he had worked on the sewer system in Brooklyn, and so he was familiar with this area. And the two of them got on horseback and rode what they called the Gowanus Heights, looking for the best location for a picturesque cemetery. And so real estate-wise, what you had here were hills left by the glacier, rock rubble on the surface, and not good for farming, not good for building upon because it wasn't level, but perfect for a picturesque cemetery where your hope was that you could cut those roads short and the vista short, and there would be a surprise waiting for you around the bend. Is it going to be an obelisk? Is it going to be an angel? Is it going to be something else as you came through here on horseback or on foot or in your carriage? How many acres is the cemetery exactly? Uh, The cemetery is 478 acres, and so it is originally chartered at 178 acres by New York State, and they buy that land, and then they expand over time. And Pierpont, of course, he was on the first 
uh, commission to lay out the roads in Brooklyn, and he purposely did not lay out roads through this area in the hopes that someday it would be purchased as a rural cemetery. And then we had the Panic of 1837, where real estate prices plunged, and that's when he and his cohorts and David Bates Douglas sprung into action and were able to buy this land up from the early people here. So the Skimmerhorns and the Bennets and the Martenses. How much room is here still to be buried today? Uh, we have very limited space for burials, but uh, that's part of our story here. In 1999, we founded our historic fund, and we are now pivoting from strictly a cemetery to a historic park and a bird watcher's paradise and a sculpture garden. And so we have a lot of levels of enjoyment here at the cemetery, and we have events to match that. Speaking of birds, you have parrots here who live at the cemetery. We do, actually, monk parakeets who live up in the front gates, and they've been here since the 1980s and are very, very happy here and have kind of spread through the uh, northeast. We also had a uh, pair of great horned owls that were nesting here and had two chicks, and we've had, we have red-winged uh, hawks uh, in here. And uh, we do get quite a few bird watchers in here and bird watchers tours through here. What's the story of the monk parakeets? Uh, the monk parakeets uh, are native to South America. And they have close cousins, the Carolina parrots, that uh, were extinct in North America. But these guys are from the same climate region that we are here. They came in when it was Idlewild Airport, now Kennedy Airport. And apparently the crate broke open and they made a run for it. And they love high spots where they feel safe. And so they've been in our main gates at the top there for a number of years. And they do a pretty good job of keeping the pigeons off of the gates. And uh, so They have a very out. distinct sound. I love the sound of those parakeets. They do. They're very, very chatty. And so you can hear, before you see them, you can hear them in the distance uh, making their distinct sound. So what is this location exactly that we are standing before? We are on Battle Hill. And so Battle Hill was originally called Mount Washington in the earliest years of the cemetery. And this is part of the Battle of Brooklyn. And it's a very interesting story because Nehemiah Cleveland was the first historian here at Greenwood. I'm the second, so we had a little bit of a gap between us. But he, in the 19th century, wrote that something with respect to the Battle of Brooklyn had happened up here, but not very much. And Chuck Lewis, Charles Lewis, wrote a book uh, that was published uh, about 10 years ago and describing how this was the high point of the entire Battle of Brooklyn on this hill, the greatest triumph of the Patriots on August 27th of 1776. And we had not known that, and so we've reinterpreted this hill with signage now to tell that story of the high point of the battle. You have a great we, monument here. Yes, we do. And we also have New York City's Civil War Monument uh, with the four parts of the army depicted in heroic, uh, now bronzes, originally cast zincs. Uh, the irony here, or the unusual fact here, is that Brooklyn was a separate city at the time that this monument was dedicated. And so New York City kind of jumped into the next jurisdiction to do this monument, but it is a, uh, a wonderful piece. The original zincs had badly deteriorated by uh, 2001, and so they were taken out of here, and we got some money from the city, 
uh, to restore them and put money into it and recast them as bronzes and still have the originals in our offices here. Now, I understand you have quite a few Civil War soldiers who are buried here at the cemetery. Yes, yes, more than we had anticipated. So actually, we rededicated this monument, the Civil War monument, in 2002. And when we did that, we had a number of reenactors here, and I was thanking them for coming, and they said it was their honor to be here. And it occurred to me that I had been interested in the Civil War for many years, and perhaps we should look for... Civil War veterans here, and one of the reenactors had a list that he had compiled over about a 20-year period that had 250 names on it. And so I was young and foolish back then and thought that he had probably gotten half of the Civil War veterans here and that we were going to wind up with 500, and then we could move on to another project. And we're still working on our Civil War veterans. We have 5,000 now that we've identified. Uh, volunteers have written biographies for each of them, which are accessible on our website. And we have gotten uh, 2,200 gravestones from Veterans Affairs. And so that means 44% of the Civil War veterans we've identified had graves that had didn't have their name on it all, at all, which kind of amazed me. Who are among the more notable people interred here? Well, we are just feet away from Leonard Bernstein, and he's one of the most often asked about. And the other uh, of that rank in terms of visitor interest is Jean-Michel Basquiat, who is buried uh, farther back into the cemetery. But we have many brand names here at the cemetery, Colgate and Pfizer and Squibb and Durkee and Wesson. Uh, we have many famous people here, so Boss Tweed and Horace Greeley. Uh, we have DeWitt Clinton. So we have, I think, four or five presidential candidates who didn't quite make it. Peter Cooper of Cooper Union is here also, and many, many uh, prominent families. So we have the Skimmelhorns are here, and it's interesting. Greenwood bought up about 100 acres of Skimmelhorn land, and the Skimmelhorns put their tombs where their barns had been on that land. Shall we go take a look at the conductor-composer Leonard Bernstein's grave? Yes, that would be great. Let's go do that. So here we are at Leonard Bernstein's grave. So understated, I was expecting more. Yes, yes, that's the uh, typical reaction uh, that people have. Uh, There is nothing spectacular about the stone. He has the same monumentation that his wife Felicia right next to him has and his sister Shirley. Uh, I think it might be kind of an understated, I was so famous that I don't need to tell people who I was kind of thing, but we do get quite a bit of visitation here. You see the stones that have been left within the Jewish tradition, which he of course was uh, shortly after he was buried here. I came up on this hill and picked up a rock about the size of the rock I have just picked up, and it had scotch tape around it, and I turned it over, and it said Vienna Philharmonic on it. So uh, it is a place of pilgrimage. You see some coins left. People, when uh, West Side Story was recently revived, people left programs here for him. You see the bench in the back that says Bernstein, and I understand that he would sit on that bench uh, after his wife died in 1978 and visit the grave here. And you got these lovely flowering bushes here as well. Right, the rhododendrons which are uh, starting to pop now in the spring. Who was the very first person 
to be buried here in Greenwood? Hmm. Uh, it was members of the Hanna family. And so the, the cemetery is founded in 1838, but they spent two years fixing the place up. And so combing the rocks off the hills, using those rocks to create drainage and roads and paths, uh, fertilizing the soil. And then 1840, the first burial. So it's five members of this Hanna family. And if I recall correctly, three of them were removals and two of them were recent burials. And so removals were very prominent during the early years of the cemetery as uh, there's, there's a book called Manhattan Moves Uptown and the idea of selling off the churchyards that were on Wall Street, for instance, as it became more and more commercial and as the congregants moved up to Union Square, for instance. Uh, and so removals, notices would be posted. Uh, the burial ground is being sold off. Please claim any bodies and stones that you wish to and otherwise they will be uh, taken away. And George Templeton Strong, the great diarist of New York City in the 19th century, wrote about walking on Broadway and seeing carts with arms dangling out of them and how horrible that was. And then coming out to Greenwood, and how impressed he was in its early years that this was a place that you could lie down and be there forever and ever. Whose story most fascinates you of a person buried here in Greenwood? Well, I, I would say that it's kind of what's come in recently. And so it's one of the thrills of doing this job is the constant discovery that people contact you. We have a genealogy program here, which does genealogical work. And one thing we didn't anticipate was that how much we were going to learn from people. And so people will write in and say, I'm working on a book about this person that frankly I had never heard of and all of a sudden there's this incredible story that you're able to tell and so uh, I'm now working actually on hopefully acquiring a donation uh, a man who was the purser of the Brooklyn Navy Yard and his descendant has a painting of him and a painting of his wife and she has the epaulets from his uniform that are in the painting and the hat and so this painting, he was born in 1793 and died in 1853. And he's got a mausoleum here that says his name and US, USN, United States Navy. And so f hopefully we'll be able to tell his story with his letters. Uh, I'm working on a book now on Captain Samuel Sims, who was a captain from Brooklyn in the Civil War. He was referred to as the Gallant Sims by the men who served under him and was killed at the Battle of the Crater. And we purchased a collection nine years ago of his materials, some of which had been saved from the garbage truck that was coming down the street in Santa Barbara, California, that uh, his uh, grandson's widow died, left the estate to five charities, and they cleaned out the house and threw out his commissions, his letters... Uh, all sorts of things. And so things come come along constantly, uh, almost once a week, where we have new stories to tell and new stories to investigate. Now, if Leonard Bernstein is one of the most beloved people buried here, who would you say is the most hated? Well, most hated, I think, uh, Boss Tweed kind of ranks up there. Uh, I'm still fascinated when I see on the news stories of civic corruption, and he is still cited as the model 
before that. And so he did uh, quite a job. And uh, I think I could probably come up with a few more. But uh, by and large, we try to tell the positive stories of the people who are interred here. All right, shall we go take a look at another grave? Sure, sure. The trees in here are simply fantastic as well. Yes, they are great. And uh, we have a recently hired horticulturist here who got us designated a level two arboretum just within the last few months. And we're now working our way up uh, to a uh, higher level uh, but we have to plant more varieties of trees. But we have uh, between seven and 8,000 trees in here, each of which has a little metal tag on it. We had an arborist go through here uh, several years ago and describe each of the trees. And so we have an internal database that we use with respect to those. So where are we now? We are outside the mausoleum of Thomas C. Durant, who was the primary fundraiser for the Union Pacific Railroad. And he was quite a character. He was uh, six foot five. And so the famous photographs of the uh, promontory point driving the Golden Spike, where they joined the Central Pacific and the Union Pacific to create the Transcontinental Railroad. If you see a really tall guy in that photograph, it is Durant. Durant would run the, tra uh, the track out with his Irish track layers uh, as far as they had money for. And then he would bring the money men out, and they would go out to the end of the line. He would hire uh, Native Americans to attack the train in a mock attack. They would burn up thousands of acres of the prairie to entertain the people. They would put up a sign, basically said, we're in the middle of nowhere. And then they would pass the hat, raise enough money, and run the track out and do it again. So he, uh, he was involved in that, and there were all kinds of scandals related to that. Uh, we have two keys here, one for the iron gate. And so you hear the lock go there. Let's try this. That is quite the key. Yes, <laughs> yes. And then even larger is the key that will open the granite door. And so fortunately, we have a very good metal shop, which works on these locks as necessary. And then it's a very heavy granite door. And inside are three sculptures by uh, John Moffat, who did quite a bit of work here at Greenwood. And so the idea of hiring a sculptor and then closing the door behind you uh, is kind of strange, but I guess this is the ultimate in uh, a show of wealth that you could afford to do this and didn't have to worry about whether or not anybody was going to see it ever again. So we do come in here occasionally for tours. Uh, you see the plaque that his son, uh, who was actually very prominent in the Adirondacks, the camps, up there had a uh, massive house uh, put here, William West Durant, 1891, describing his father, Thomas Clark Durant, projector, builder, vice president, and general manager of the Union Pacific Railroad.
What an interesting feel to come in here. It just feels... Yes, you feel like you're in a different world from just the few feet outside. And then kind of a special thing, you have this massive granite door, which is beautifully cut, as you can see, is rounded, so it will go around. And we have this, you use the key in the lock as the handle to the door, and you get this wonderful sound. If you'd like to stay inside. I was going to say, don't lock me in here, Jeff. Don't lock me in here. You'll get the full effect of the sound as it closes. Wow, that is quite the sound. And frighteningly dark in here. Yes, it does get dark very quickly, doesn't it? All right, so let me close this up. So what brought you to this cemetery as its historian? Actually, I've been a collector all of my life. And so I collected baseball cards when I was a little boy and then collected uh, stereo views of New York City. I've always been interested in New York City. And so these were those side-by-side photographs dating from the 1860s and 70s, which showed what New York City looked like. And so collecting those, I kept coming across photographs of some place called Greenwood Cemetery and didn't know anything about it. Uh, this was in the 19, early 1980s. And then uh, in 1987, I saw an ad to come to Greenwood Cemetery, a professional photographer, a rare opportunity to photograph the place and get instruction. What I wanted to do was to see the scenes that I knew from these stereo views and say, I recognize this. Here's, it looked like this in 1865. And so I came in here and I was just amazed by how beautiful the place was and how varied and how it brings together so many things I'm interested in, whether it's landscape photography or landscape design or 19th century photography or monumentation and stones and histories and stories and so... Uh, and collecting also. So we have been collecting here, and I've kind of gotten the green light up to a certain limit to collect items that pertain to the cemetery. And so we actually have a 1,000 stereo views of the grounds of the cemetery, the photographers who spent day after day photographing Broadway and the traffic and the buildings love to come over here and take kind of a, a holiday and photograph the grounds. And so to be able to see a monument, we've used some of those to restore monuments to say this is what it looked like in 1865, this piece is missing now. We did that with our Civil War monument up on the hill. And so uh, it's kind of fascinating to put that story of both the cemetery and the people who were buried here together. Yeah, let's talk more about that collection because I think a lot of people don't realize that a cemetery like this has such a vast collection of things that are associated with the people buried here, even personal belongings. Yes, we do. And so we actually have two segments. We have our archives, which are millions of documents. So having over half a million people buried here, and if you have 10 pieces of paper pertaining to their burial and their monumentation and their death, there's uh, a lot of paper here. And in addition to which, we have a collection. And so those are some items that we had at the cemetery, but primarily items that we've purchased or have been donated to the cemetery that help us tell the story either of the cemetery or of the permanent residence. And so we can pull material out 
that we can use in exhibitions. We've done exhibitions in our chapel. Uh, we have an exhibition space planned for the new building that's going to go around our historic greenhouse that's now being restored as a visitor center. And the cemetery recently received a grant to begin the process of digitizing the collection, right? That's correct. And so uh, digitizing uh, the archival material, we have chronological books here which list every burial from that first burial in 1840 through 1937. And so we can go to events, the sinking of the Titanic, uh, a particular fire, and look for people who are here as a result of those tragedies and uh, the documentation that we have. And so we've had scholars look at particular files and tell us, I wish when I wrote that book I had known about the material that you have in your files that I couldn't find anywhere else despite years of research. And so we would like to make that material available to scholars and interested individuals. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Jeff Richman is the historian of Brooklyn's Greenwood Cemetery. More information about the cemetery, including tours and a calendar of events, at green-wood.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boraki. My thanks for listening. WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.